there's 24 hours in a day. They can't train for 24 hours. They have to sleep. They have to eat. So why not barbecue? Hello and welcome to the Wolf Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. There's this old Woody Allen joke. I'm paraphrasing, but it goes something like this. My mother used to say to me when I was younger, if a strange man comes up to you and offers you candy and wants you to get in the back of his car with him, go. I was reminded of this on Monday when the news finally broke that Louis van Gaal will be bundled into a car and from now on will be known as the former Manchester United manager and the sheer delight and motherly relief that oh so many Manchester United fans felt upon hearing this news. Here to talk about that sacking and much more is Paddy Higgs. Hello. Fabian Gorsler. Hey. And Andre Gonzalez. Hello. So as I was saying, there's so, so much to talk about from the weekend. But the big news is, of course, Louis van Gaal losing his job and the impending appointment of Jose Mourinho as manager of Manchester United. Paddy, we'll talk about Mourinho in a minute. And we all know where it's gone wrong for van Gaal. The dire performances, the lack of goals, the long emails, the fact that he made the players do double sessions, the poor little things. But let's have a quick word about the way the club have shoved van Gaal out the exit door. Yeah, it, um, for those of you who sort of read Van Gaal's statement last night, um, with a lot of grace, um, a lot of dignity, I think um, you know there's a lot of fans who uh, really disagreed with the way he's sort of conducted himself as manager over the last few months. Um, but the way um, he sort of farewelled the club last night was was really quite dignified. Uh, compare that to the way that he potentially found out about this move, and um, it says a lot about United at the moment that they're. Um, you know, they really allowed their manager to sort of uh, catch, you know, dr- drift of this news through the through the back alleys and, and whispers and things like that. Um, yet they'll happily sort of spend millions on terrible X Men crossover campaigns. So I think it really shows where you know the the um, the emphasis of the club lies at the moment that um, that Van Hal was able to find out from what we can tell um, in such a bad way. Well, the story is is that he found out from his wife who was watching the news on TV and his wife contacted him and said, "Um, you know, you've been uh, fired. That's awful. Yeah, it's incredible. It's a really terrible way to treat a manager. There's plenty of, uh, you know, rumours and and, and reports that go around and and there's been plenty about Van Gaal's position for some time, but um, it's it's unthinkable that United allowed this to happen in in this way. And not only how he found out at the end, but just, you know, it's like you said, it's been months in the making, this decision. And a lot of times it's felt like Van Hal has been alone fighting the media, basically. And there's been no support from the, uh, you know, from the club. No, no club spokesman has come out and said, Van Hal is our manager for now. We will reassess things in the summer. Nothing. It was dead silent. And it was just Van Hal repeating over and over again. It, I, you know, I'm was, in my it job. It was completely alone yep. since, since the very beginning of the, the whole exactly. situation and, and when the first rumors um, came out. I don't know. It was probably in February or something. I feel like uh, everyone knew about this since ever. It was a bit like uh, um, a marriage gone wrong. You know that the marriage is terrible, uh, and uh, the the husband is cheating on his wife for a while. Everybody knows in the neighborhood, <laughs> and uh, and suddenly uh, you have to take it. You have to to keep carrying your with a terrible man uh, marriage until the end. That's right. a better analogy than Ian's joke at the start, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I'm I still struggling to get that. that you didn't like my on. joke? No, it made me feel a bit uncomfortable. You did, just a little bit, just a little bit. You Especially like, Woody Allen, you know. Well, I tell you what, if you're out there and you're listening, I mean, you might 
want to check out Woody Allen's stand-up, it's one of the funniest things you can you can hear. And in fact, I if you would like, I can give you a little insight into my life. <laughs> Do we have a choice? <laughs> yeah. no, you don't really have a choice. I'm going to give it to you anyway. My favorite film is a Woody Allen movie. Which one? Annie Hall. Okay, I can understand. It's, to it's, me, it's, it's a the, lovely movie. It's the perfect movie. Yeah, it's really good. But come here, let's get back to Manchester United. <laughs> sure. Um, do you know who comes out of this worst for me? Out of all of this whole scenario, it's not Woodward, it's not Van Hal, it's the players. Yeah. The players come out of this. They come, I mean, <clears throat> so they were, they're complaining about double training sessions. We don't know the source of the leak. Of course. But we can all speculate on who it could be. But anyway, so they come out of it complaining about double training sessions from two seasons ago. I mean, come on, lads. Get over it. You're professional footballers. You should be training. And, you know, they're annoyed that Van Hal wants them to read emails that point out where they could improve their game. It's part of the job. Yeah, it's part of their job, you, isn't you, it? You yeah. either do it on, uh, on person or, or you do it uh, via email. Right. That's, that's part of the job. It seems to me like they need to grow a bit of a thicker skin at Manchester It, it remains a bit... Um, there used to be, when, when Mourinho was um, doing his first steps as a manager in Lydia, um, there was some players complaining that after the match, they rerun the match and rewatch uh, quite a few times in order to um, not making, not committing the same mistakes they, they did in the last weekend. And there was some players complaining about that, saying that, oh, it was so annoying, just watching and watching and watching. Yeah, but that's the only way of... Um, of became uh, become a, a better player. Yeah, I mean, I think the days are gone where players potentially, you know, came in on a Saturday afternoon, played their game, went home, came back again on Tuesday, or did it? Maybe did a small recovery on Sunday, um, in again for training on Tuesday, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, and then bang, you play again. I mean, the, the way that clubs find the edge now is through this, you know, and analysis through this um, preparation through this hard work and um, players are paid well enough to know that that should be the case I mean this also raises the question was it all Van Hal's fault that the tactics didn't work during the game I mean if the if the players are coming out with this kind of stuff and if we're seeing that the players aren't mature enough to play for a big club like United then it can't all be laid on Van Hal's shoulders they definitely have to bear a big part of the responsibility I feel absolutely okay let's talk the special one Fabian you're someone with a Manchester United bent to your nature are you confident that Mourinho is the way to go for Man United I'm a little scared I mean I don't have any doubts that the football will improve it'll be more attractive for the fans and it will bring a little more success I don't know how much more success because there are a lot of other good teams in the Premier League now but the thing with Mourinho is he feels like a very short-term option, just like Van Hal was. Um, and, you know, he came back to Chelsea for a second stint. He was supposed to build a huge dynasty. He was hyped up to be this thing where he was going to stay there, possibly retire there, stay there forever like Ferguson. That didn't happen. Look where Chelsea is now. They're not in Europe. And I'm very scared that with his off-field antics and kind of just the media storm that Mourinho brings, it will make things worse just like Van Hal did bring quite a big media storm as well. So it could just continue on from where Van Hal left off. 
Do you think, though, Fab, that, I mean, we were just talking about the players struggling with Van Hal's message, and we've been critical on, on about Van Hal on this, this show quite a bit as well, of course, and perhaps, potentially the breakdown was that he did not have the ability to communicate why these sort of things were important. Mourinho, for all these you know, criticisms, you can say that he's been able to galvanise most of the squads he's worked with. A lot of players will still respect him long after he's gone. Um, do you think that he has the ability to bring this United team together in a professional way that Van Hal perhaps couldn't? I think there is a possibility that happens. but And you're right, there are a lot of ex-players of his that support him. But just look at the Chelsea team. There were, you know, they lost confidence in him, and that is the most recent example. So who's to say that, you know, he's going to go back to his old ways? He might just continue on from where he left off at Chelsea. Sure. Um, there's no doubt, though, that some players will benefit from Mourinho, who didn't benefit from Van Hall being there, which is typical when a new manager comes in. So I guess, you know, we're going to have to wait and see. Obviously, I don't think he's, I don't think he's the perfect choice, but I don't think there is a perfect choice right now. Andre, but it's a, it's about the the long term thing. You're looking for a ten year thing with a manager, because I think that's terrible. I, I'm I'm not a fan of a, a long term relationship in a, between a manager and a club. I think that's that's not good for for both. Also, I think Ferguson was a real exception. I mean, you look yeah. at any other club. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a, a one like... it's a one time thing. It, it works. Uh, I don't know. Every once in uh, in short twenty cases and i'm not talking about ferguson's like crazy more than 20 years but um even if you can pass the five years coaching a, a club that's a lot nowadays it's really really yeah. a lot yeah but i feel like three years which is kind of Mourinho's expiry date is also too short i feel like five years is this perfect sweet spot obviously it's not realistic we're not gonna have another ferguson who stays for 20 plus years but um three years you've seen from van hall is very short he got fourth last year now he got fifth and now he's gone. Who's to say, you know, what would have happened next year? He would have improved. He would have uh, regressed. Um, and three years is just too short a time for the job that awaits the next manager, I feel like. Paddy, who will be the players that will be sweating over their futures right about now? I think uh, we all know Juan Mata is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I think one month is probably already looking at where he might uh, be come next season. I think there's there's quite a few players who at least will have their statuses um, a bit up in the air. But I also think a lot of them should see this as a new opportunity as well. Um, you know, by the end, how many do you think would have said they were happy under Van Hal? Not many. Yeah. So, I mean, for all of them, this is a fresh start. Um, and I think for guys like Memphis Depay, who's, you know, come to the club as this new hero, you know, um, and then and look at he couldn't even make the squad for the FA Cup. So there's guys like him who, you know, been once valued at quite a lot of money um, and, and with a lot of potential. And I think uh, the ability... Uh, the fresh start that Mourinho brings is going to be pretty um, refreshing for, for everyone. I think it's interesting you mentioned Depay because I feel like if you think back to his time at Real Madrid and how Mesut Ozil improved under Mourinho and you think back to his time at Inter Milan and how Wesley Schneider improved under him, I feel like that's how Depay could be under under Mourinho. I think he could be a real star. Potentially. And I mean, we might also see a whole new Wayne Rooney. You know, he's been much maligned. His form has swung like a pendulum. Um, but he might actually find a place again um, and, and some confidence again. I mean, it can't it can't regress. You would say it can't regress on Mourinho. Um, it's probably going to go forward. To and of course, Mourinho is a massive fan of Rooney. You think he tried to buy him for Chelsea? Correct. Yeah. A couple, a couple yeah. of seasons ago. Yeah. Um, and just when I thought this story couldn't get any better, old Zlatan comes into the picture. 
Zlatan is the perfect striker for United right now. He's nearing the end of his career. You've got Rashford waiting. James Wilson probably coming back as well from loan. Um, and so you don't want to buy someone like Morata or some, or, you know, obviously a really, really good striker, but somebody who will just block out the youth. And United is all about the youth. The supporters are excited. They've seen what Rashford can do. And so Zlatan being there for one or two years is perfect. The players can learn from him and still get opportunities to play. And then when he's gone, they can take the limelight and the starting position. I mean, I also feel like that Zlatan would bring that arrogance that United need. I feel like that's what's something that you think back. It's Eric Cantona's birthday. Happy birthday, Eric! Remember, <laughs> but remember the arrogance he would bring to United. That collar up, those shoulders yeah. back. I, I feel like Slatan would really bring that to United for a season. Or two. The, there's a lack of men in the in the Manchester United squad. There's just a bunch of kids with no real spine, no spirit, and you can feel that in certain matches. It was just embarrassing. So while you guys are all sitting here agreeing with each other, I've actually got a, a few counterpoints on this one. I mean, it was a good comparison of Cantona, but I think Ibra goes past that. And, you know, um, we saw, and we spoke about Ibra last week as well, we saw that you know, when he said goodbye to PSG, it became much more about him than it did about the club. And I, I would think that Ibra would actually pull into this club saying, I am bigger than United at the moment. And that is not going to be helpful for United whatsoever. I don't know. I think it could I, th- be I think that's going to happen for sure. Yeah. But I don't think it's bad for for Man United right now. It would take a lot of pressure from from the the club, and would take a lot of pressure for Slatan. <laughs> and, yeah. and he can take that pressure. So I do have one last point just before we do move on. Fab said a couple of weeks ago when Mourinho's when this you know um, I guess the reports that he was you know getting closer and closer to United surfaced, said that he would never buy a United jersey as long as Mourinho was was managing. And mm-hmm. then yesterday when this Ibrahimovic rumours and reports have come up, he was saying I just off the cuff. I might get all three United jerseys next year. So which one is it, Fab? Because we've got you you on the record now. All right, yeah. So you did get me with that one. But um, then I went back and I actually tweeted my uh, first statement that I would not buy a kit as long as Mourinho's manager to put it, you know, black on white in writing. And I think I'm going to stand by that. You think? Well, I'm going to stand by it, but I, you know... If somebody gives me or gifts me a kit, that's out of my control. It is out of your control. Okay, of course, Van Gaal wasn't the only manager to end his reign this weekend with a trophy Pep Guardiola did too. Paddy, we watched this Pokal together. We did, yeah, we did. Um, Sitting beside a rather burly, scary-looking man with a shaved head and a dolphin tattooed. Yeah, the, the dolphin tattoo was a bit of a uh, yeah oxymoron, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly wasn't going to go argue with him or ask him about definitely it. Definitely not. Definitely. Um, not. Where do we start with this one? Frank Ribery trying to touch uh, Gonzalo Castro's brains. Well, yeah, yeah, he was trying to trying to get him through the eye, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it was it was a red card. I think uh, anyone. How did he would... get away with it? it was yeah, so I don't know. Dembele did a few weeks ago as well. It's an interesting one. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, to be honest, it's one of those fleeting moments that unfortunately the referee missed. Um, I still think that you know um, th- there was a certain inevitability about this result, despite the fact that Dortmund did play very well. Um, um, both sides had chances as well. Um, from an entertainment point of view, it was it was really good. But I think um, I think Dortmund would probably regret their choice of penalty takers at the end as well. Right. There's two other points I would like to bring up about this final. Eric Derm's throwback to 2006 <laughs> bleached hair. 
Yeah, there's not too much more to say. There's not, there's not much more to Eric say. Eric Dems never really had a great haircut. He also really enjoys his time in the in the Sun Studios as well. So um, it, it wasn't a surprise to see that um, that that cut come. He's on. one for the tanning salon. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't born that rosy cheek, surely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other point that interested me was Pep Guardiola's tears, yeah. which are completely out of kilter for the sort of machine-like cold person he's been during his time in the Bundesliga. Yeah, I think uh, Raphael Hunnickstein wrote a, a nice piece um, yesterday or the day before about this. And I think Pep had really sort of made an effort um, to keep his private life quite private. But he was also paradoxically quite upset that um, he was being painted as this robot as well. So I think these tears were a little bit of a release of, of both of those things. Um, uh, he's probably been uh, regarded as a bit ruthless with the way he's come to Bayern, um, changed the team at Bayern, and now he's, he's just leaving for Manchester City. But I think um, those tears were probably a bit of a reminder that he's, he's a man somewhere deep down under that, that human after all. Yeah, well-drilled machine. Well, yeah, there was, a nice, there was a nice little quote from Thomas Muller afterwards when he said, oh, Pep can be human again. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Until he gets to until he gets back. It's a it's a beautiful circle because when it, when he left uh, Barcelona, he did the same. He cried like a baby. Did he uh, really? Yeah, and uh, now he learned to love again. I think. <laughs> <laughs> if we said that without our, you know. Um, Iberian accents that would just sound a bit weird but Andre just pulls that off you went to love again sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. it was trophy time in Spain as yeah. well Andre I have to admit before this game I thought Sevilla would be tired distracted they were and... they were really tired but they because it was their 63rd game of this season it was uh, yeah it's it's insane but uh, they were they were really good they're they're arguably re- the better side for a large part of the game until the very moment that Banega got sent off I would say um, but yeah, it was um, really terrible to see how the, the team, both teams were really tired, not only Sevilla, but also Barca. They, they, they were really, really tired. And in the, the extra time was a bit of an embarrassed moment because uh, you're just waiting for the moment to happen. To do, you, you know that Barca will score because uh, there were a lot of Sevilla players uh, on the floor, every time the the, the match was uh, stopping for a moment, there was some guys going to the bench getting some water, and it, there was that that amazing moment that um, the referee got a massage because even the referee <laughs> was so tired. And then he, he asked for a massage, and uh, everyone was just lying on the floor <laughs> suddenly. So, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a, a beautiful match, not at all. It was a bit rough in in the beginning. There was. Um, not a lot of opportunities, especially in the first half. The first half was quite poor uh, concerning the quality, the overall quality of the match. Uh, the second half was a bit better and um, brought a lot more excitement to, to, to the game. And then in, uh, in the extra time, it was about legs. If you have it, you win it, basically. One of the more beautiful aspects to the game was Leo Messi's passing. It's a criminally underrated part of Leo Messi's game. Everybody talks about the goals and the dribbles and everything. He's a wonderful passer. He's a wonderful passer. He's always been like that. Uh, if you if you spot the in in um, Argentina, for instance, I think that the best quality that Messi brings into the style of play if, in, in the national team is the the overall quality, the accuracy of the passing, comparing with some other guys in the in the national uh, Argentine team. Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. 
So this Saturday we're being treated to a rerun of the 2014 Champions League final as Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid come together once more. Here to talk to us about that is Nick Poskett from Atletico Fans and Nils Kern from RealTotal.ie. Starting with you, Nick, uh, you're flying out to Milan on uh, Friday. Have the nerves kicked in yet or are you feeling pretty confident about it? I think the nerves are well on their way, yeah. Um, fly out Friday morning really, really early. Um, we've got a, a weekend in Milan and you know what? I think the, the realisation of what's about to come is kind of settling on me now. It's uh, I think it's two years today since the uh, last final two years ago. So, yeah, they're starting to grab me a little bit. Atletico were much changed from that side that took to the pitch two years ago. What do you think are the differences between that one and this one? I think what you'll see and what we've seen all season is a more mature Atletico side. Um, it's a side that's going to have a lot more, well, a lot more energy. I think if you remember two years ago, we were physically and mentally exhausted after the league campaign. I think the obviously the title went to the last day. We, we won it at the Camp Nou. That was only a week before the Champions League final. So, this year we've had a, a two-week break. Um, I mean, the players have to, been able to recharge, and of course we haven't got really any injury worries like we did two years ago with other Turan and Diego Costa worries for that game. So, do you know, I think there'll be a lot more aggression, a lot more determination. I think everyone have a little bit more in the tank. Nils, will will Madrid be feeling just as confident? Ah oh, well. Well, me personally, I'm, I'm quite confident too, but um, it's good that the team doesn't have the same pressure um, like you know, two years ago when they really had to wait 12 years for another chance to win the Champions League. And now it's only you know, after t- t- two years ago, and I think the pressure is lower and the team can be more more free, can can play more free, and they don't might be that frightened like two years ago. But uh, yeah, Nick said it, um, Atletico... Um, didn't have the, the hard league match like against Barcelona two years ago. They can be more fresher. They are not only the rookies like two years ago. They are a great team uh, after two years now. And um, it will be a huge match, a huge fight. And But Real Madrid is motivated too. They had a lot, some um, Atletico beat have beaten Real in the league and the Copa del Rey um, last year, so Real Madrid has wants revenge too. So um, it's 50-50 and I'm quite confident, but it's, it will be hard. Nick, a question for you. Um, it, much has been made about um, Atleti and their ability to really upset, um, upset's probably the wrong word, the, their ability to beat some of the biggest teams around the continent. Um, but it's been, is it four matches since you've you've beaten Real Madrid? Um, how do you actually sort of, I guess, you know, is that something that, that does worry you a little bit? You did say you were confident, but does that concern you at all? No, I think, you know, we've had a good record against Real Madrid. Um, you know, we beat them in the league this season. Um, at the Bernabeu obviously Griezmann got the goal um, in the last 10 games across all fixtures we've only lost once and of course that was the Champions League quarters um, last year at the Bernabeu and I was actually at that game and it was heartbreaking to see Hernandez score but in the last 10 games against them we've lost once and I think we're we're in a really good position as with Atletico though we are always the underdog no matter who we're playing um, Atletico is all about being humble and you know like I said we're always going to be the you know everyone's favourite I think the underdog is a good way of describing it especially hearing that everyone loves the underdog so it's going to be a tough game but 
we've proven we can do it against Real Madrid especially we've proven we can beat teams like Barcelona we can survive against Bayern Munich so there's no reason we can't come out on top again Saturday So I guess I have a question for both of you um, and it's more of a tactical question what do you guys feel is the most important matchup or the most critical matchup and the key to winning the game for either side um, and we'll start with Niels Okay, I think a key factor is always the psychology, the motivation. If playing against Atletico is a hard fight, always Atletico fights for their lives. And um, of course, Real Madrid might have a better quality squad with uh, players with more technique and so on. But um, they have to play as a, as a, as a union, as, um, as one team, as 11 friends on the field. And um, it's good that Zinedine Zidane is there because he, he formed again a team out of those uh, stars and like uh, Carlo Ancelotti did in 2014 so um, it's about psychology who motivates the team better everyone is out for revenge but um it depends on who, who who fights the most, and if, if Real Madrid is uh, on top in their head, in their mind, they will um, fight as well as Atleti. And then Atleti is the only key, only um, yeah, weapon is to fight. And if Real fights against against them too, it might be um, yeah equal. And Nick, I think typically, I think typically when Simeone fields a team against a team like Barcelona, he tends to always take it back a, a little bit. He doesn't go all out attack. He packs in the field and makes sure that we've got enough bodies in there to play how play the way we want to play. I think tactically in this game, um, I think we're, we're going to see a 4-4-2 from Diego Simeone. We're going to see two up top with uh, Fernando Torres and Anton Griezmann. And I think the midfield is going to be packed full of players that you might normally class as defensive midfielders. You know, we're going to have Gabby, we're going to have uh, Koke, we're going to have Augusto. And, of course, we're going to have Saul as well. So I think those are the four you'll see. That'll be a busy midfield, but it's how we played all year. Um, those four play you know, really, really well together, especially since you know, Augusto's coming to the side. But I think one of the main battles is going to be at the back. I mean, we're going to see Juan Fran and Felipe Luis really have to work hard to track the, you know, the, 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 the trident of Benzema, um, Bayern and Ronaldo. So... I think there's going to be battles all over the pitch, but I think it's going to be won and lost by how hard Atleti can fight, how they can track back on those players, and you know put them in a position where we can't, where we have to cut off service to those men. Uh, Nick, um, we've seen a, a lot of uh, speculation on the press conferences about uh, the way they're going to play in the in the final, and uh, there were some uh, reporters asking Simeone if they're going to play with a more counter style. He said that probably you'll see the other way around. What do you think of this statement? Is like a mind game or you're seeing Atletico taking over the match since the very beginning? You know, I think it's probably a little bit of both. You know, I don't mean to sit on the fence, but with Simeone this week, obviously they had the media day and, you know, the almost, I think almost the whole training session was open to the cameras. And I think typically it's normally just the first 15 minutes. So, So that from Simeone is him saying, do you know what? We're not going to hide our hand. This is what we're going to do. These are the players that we're going to play. This is the style we're going to play. And whether or not that is mind games, he's going to shift it at the last. We don't know. But I think that typically in these sort of games, we can't just sit back and, and wait for the counter. We do need to go out there and play. We've shown that in the first leg against uh, Barcelona. At the very, very start, we played very, very well. And we got the ball out, got to Torres, got the ball to Breeze, and then we got the ball up top. 
obviously the game changed when Fernando Torres was sent off, but we have proven that we can play both ways. And I think that how the game unfolds is going to dictate a lot of the, the, the attacking style that we go for. If, if you look at the numbers and if you analyze the, how, how Atletico um, have been performing this season, um, the counterattack thing sounds a bit like uh, just a, almost as a scheme created by the media. Uh, because if you look at the numbers, that's not actually true. Uh, usually they play in, in possession, even when they, they're playing against big teams like Barca and Madrid. Um, they're not all inside the box. Why do you think that this image was uh, created by the media? Where, where this this image came from? Do you know, I think a lot of people have said things like, Atleti are not a good team to watch. Um, you know, they're not an enjoyable team to watch on TV or... But, you know, I don't think any of our players care. I think what they want to do is make a team that's hard to play against, not just watch. So, yeah, no, I can see why people have said that. There's always been that kind of image of Atletico. I mean, not just this season, not just the last, over the last four or five years. There was the um, idea, and perhaps it wasn't too wrongly founded, that we rely a lot on set pieces. Um, some would say that a corner for Atletico was a penalty corner. Sometimes it was more decisive of threatening their actual penalties. So we we did a lot from corners, we did a lot from set pieces, and I think people thought that was a, a bad way to play. Obviously we've had Simeone as a as a coach, someone that's very aggressive and he does um put it to his side. This will probably go back to Diego Costa playing for playing for us and we all know how he can be. So there is aggression in the side, um, there's resilience, there's determination to defend, defend and defend. And I think that that might tickle the media the wrong way in a, in a sport that's always been focused on attacking. And when you're in a league with, with Barcelona and, and Real Madrid and you know the beautiful football that sometimes they can play, I think that it's a stark contrast to what the, the, the public have been used to. Neil, a question for you. Um, Zinedine Zidane is on the cusp of, of bringing you know, the Champions League um, to the club. Um, just a few months after taking over as coach, what would it mean for his status um, and his development um, and I guess the regard that, that guys like yourself would look at him as all of a sudden um, as someone who might be there for a few years? <laughs> yeah, he was, as Zinedine Zidane was as a player, one of the legends of the club and he, he led as, as a second coach uh, to La Decima um, in 2014, the 10th European Cup and if he will win it now, five months after he was established as a um, head coach, he would be yeah, immortal maybe for for hmm. every time because he was it was really the plan of um, Real Madrid of Florentino Perez and so on um, to establish him in the future as a coach and it was already quite a taste when Rafael Benitez took over in the summer. Oh, everyone said mm, can't be can't take too much much longer since uh, Zidane uh, will will take the, the head coach. And yeah, now it is finally, um, he's there and he does a good job. He can motivate the team and the, the players listen to him, the young guys, the, the older guys like Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo and so on. And um, if he wins it, he will be yeah, immortal, unforgotten, of course. And um, But I also think if he won't win, he there will no be... Um, yeah, rumors about his future or that he might leave Real Madrid again because um, the club has 
this um, might lose too much. You know, it's, it's a little bit of an experiment because it's it is um, Zinedine Zidane's first real head coach job after he um, left the Castilla in the third division. But um, they can lose a lot of uh, of their image, Real Madrid, because um, Zinedine Zidane is a world football legend and everybody loves him and um, they have to try it even when they might lose the final and um, to, to show that uh, Real Madrid can do something like Barcelona did with Pep, Pep Guardiola, who was um, uh, yeah, an unexperienced coach too, but who led um, Barcelona to big success. Okay, before we let the both of you go, uh, let's get a quick prediction. I will start with you, Nick. I'm tempted to say no. Um, <laughs> just for a template, I think the nerves are really settling after this conversation, but I think I'm going to go for a 1 0 win for America. And Nils? Hmm, I think we go into the, what is it called, extension or uh, the overtime, of course. So it might be a nil-nil after 90 minutes, a hard fight with some occasions, but not much occasions, because both teams won't go all in, like, like you could say in poker speech. Um, so it might be in the overtime a 1-0 for Real Madrid. That was Nick Poskett from Atletico fans and Niels Kern from RealTotal.de. Andre, you're bemused about the final. You don't know what's going to happen, do you? I have no idea what's going to happen. It's uh, Usually uh, predictions are always kind of shady. Uh, but this one, uh, I have no idea what's going to happen. I, uh, Considering what Atletico have been doing during the season... I would expect um I would expect them to uh to take it very hard since the, the, the very beginning and I don't know how uh, Madrid are uh I, I don't know how motivated they they are to the to the final in a in a way that I don't think that mentally they are as strong as uh, Atletico uh but they have a lot of talent, and even when you don't play well, with uh, all the quality that you have in a squad like Real Madrid, you can actually win a match. They're very relaxed. I can tell you that they are very relaxed. That's why I think I think that I'm not sure if there's um, overconfidence in uh, in the way they've been dealing with the whole situation. I mean, uh, it, it they are Real Madrid. They've been in several several uh, finals, so they 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 are kind of used to it. Uh, but uh, I think that there's a, judging by the the media, I think there's a bit more of commitment right now uh, with within the, the Atletico. Well, there's certainly commitment to uh, a suntan from Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> I was I was reading Marca this morning, and they had a story, no less, a story about how Cristiano Ronaldo is working on his suntan. And they were relaxing in. Um, in the swimming pool, in uh, in Sergio Ramos' swimming exactly, pool. Exactly, yeah. that's not exactly the thing that you picture when you're about to play a Champions League final, right? Sure. And they, also, they also had a barbecue at the Bernabeu. Exactly. The team bonding. I, I don't mind that a little bit. It's just the, the thing is that we might not actually <laughs> see that. Don't our producer just really agreeing with that last yeah. statement? <laughs> 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 you need a microphone over there, Damo. <laughs> <laughs> It might sound a bit stiff, but uh, I think it's not kind of. I, I think it's not 
usual to see this right before Correct. the the Champions League. Yeah, like, it's not normally something. Let's have a, let's have a barbecue and then let's let's just chill out in the swimming yeah, pool. Yeah, but there's there's 24 hours in a day. They can't train for 24 hours. They have to sleep. They have to eat. So why not barbecue? It's a, it's about the media. The the way they're they are they were in the barbecue and they were periscoping and uh, Instagramming and all that stuff. <laughs> and then in this next day they 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 were in the swimming pool and they were. Periscoping and Instagramming and all that that Kids stuff. These you know, days. <laughs> yeah. It's it's more about your handling the whole situation. You can do that, but at least hide it a little bit from the media. Okay, Paddy, a quick prediction from you. Uh, I think it's unfortunately probably going to end up a little bit like a uh, the Dortmund Munich final for me. Um, oh, so man. I do think that that Real will edge it in the end. Fabs. Yeah, I'm going to be very specific. 74th minute, Sergio Ramos red card. And then 84th minute, Ronaldo winning goal 1-0. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Paddy, Fabian, Andre, Nick, Nils and our producer Damien. Go to iTunes, rate the podcast, subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, you might as well download the OneFootball app too. You can also hit us up on Twitter, Facebook and SoundCloud at OneFootball. Thanks for listening.